hey man one day we're gonna fly away and uh whether your body goes into the ground and your soul goes to meet the lord right when you die there and you take off your soul does takes its flight uh to realms on high amen one day all right how's everybody doing friday friday all right well you know what you know what i didn't get time to do and luke you know what i don't know is why that camera freezes like that for some reason on restream that camera will freeze like that do you see it doesn't freeze on the broadcast but it freezes in that little box is weird all right anyway luke's here with me because he installed a new computer and oh camera sorry camera that's right camera he installed a new camera here and uh driving my work truck singing those songs amen steven well i'm glad well anyway so we got the camera installed here and it's got me in the wide shot now a little bit wider than before but we'll work on getting that all perfect and lighting and all that stuff i'm sure Andrew's going to come over and be like, well, I think we need to adjust the lighting like this, this, and this. So that's a possibility. That's probably going to come. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, Luke got it installed, and I appreciate him bringing that over here and getting that hooked up. And and now we have a streaming. Uh, it's a streaming one, and, you know, that will – because we'll burn those others out. We run them nonstop, and they're not designed for that. So uh, they're – they're uh designed for the uh you know for just different uses uh for obviously taking pictures and doing some video but not running streams non-stop so uh praise the lord for brother luke and uh, his heart to help and uh got that over here and i appreciate that so um you pray for us remember we are headed uh, brother bicey and i we are headed to europe and uh, in the not-too-distant future here, April 17th, uh, 16th, that is, April 16th, here's the video, April 16th, we are headed to Europe. And uh, pray for us, please, uh, that, uh, number one, pray for the Lord to provide for us uh, our finances and everything else like that. Is hey, hey, I appreciate that more of you have given. Also, in the last couple days, so praise the Lord for that. I appreciate that. Uh, we're very grateful for that, and um, and we thank God for for uh, Him using folks to give to the ministry and and give for this. And uh, we're excited about being able to record live at those different spots. There's going to be some very, uh, very important spots that are over there. Uh, that we are going to be broadcasting from uh, the. I want to broadcast from the the cave, uh, the church cave over there in Waldensia in Italy, and uh, a number of different spots. Uh, the Colosseum down there, uh, just a number of different um, things. So pray for us uh, that uh, that the Lord would uh, just continue to provide. April seventeenth uh, or sixteenth, we'll be leaving. Uh, and uh, if you can give towards that, here's how you can give. PayPal at SalvationPreacher at gmail.com. Uh, Cash app right there. Apple Pay. Pastor Cooley at iCloud.com or Venmo. You can look us up on that. And uh, oh, and that. What is that? Oh, Carl doesn't like how I say this. Zelly or Selly or whatever. A Selly is somebody you go to jail with, Carl. I don't know what you're talking about anyway. Somebody you're in jail with is your Selly. All right. 
So there you go. Get that straight, Carl. That's your celly. There you go. But anyway, so that zelly or whatever it is, Z-E-L-L-E -L -L -E or however, Carl doesn't like. Carl, you probably don't like a lot how I say things. It's all right. You're not supposed to. You're European. You're not supposed to like how I talk. All right? That's why we had a war with Europe, all right? That's, that's part of the reason, all right? And we won. So just, just remember that. All right? Let's, let's get the we won. So we get to talk hillbilly here because we won. You don't get to talk. You don't get to stop us from talking hillbilly because we won the war. All right. Anyway. So there. Right, Pavarotti. There you go. Leno knows what I'm talking about, don't you, Leno? Hey, I I shouldn't have wore brown. Look, it blends in. Is that bad, Luke? Should I should I take should I should I put a song on and change that so it looks better? Otherwise, all you're gonna see is like this talking head in brown. It'll it'll look kind of weird. All right, so let me play a song and I'll I'll take this, I'll change this sweater here real quick and and uh so then you just don't see like eyeballs moving and like, whoa, what is this? This is weird. There's just like eyeballs moving. All right, bear with me, kids. Let's see here. We'll get to it. How about we play this one? Here we go.
side yeah you caught that i was handed my wife some money because she's heading out to the store hey luke they want you to say hi you want to come over here and say hi looks like i'm not a camera guy i'm not saying hi he said he has a face for behind the camera that only his mother would love in his future <laughs> he didn't say that i'm just kidding <laughs> Oh, oh man, that's funny. All right, all right. I'm done being. I, I, I wasn't picking on him. He said it first, so I, I just added the last. <laughs> His mom's gonna get on me now. She's gonna get on me. Like, stop talking about my son. Uh, <laughs> that's backstage, Luke, running the camera. Anyway, you know about our trip. Somebody just messaged me. Let's see. Let's see. I just had somebody send me a message. Let's see. All right, I'll be preaching on the streets. In London. Somewhere. All right. Luke, your mom says you look good. All right. <laughs> that makes him feel worse. <laughs> Told him he had a face his mother would love. <laughs> ah, that's funny. All right. <laughs> I'm glad he's in the room here. I have a lot of fun when somebody's in the room. <laughs> oh, man. That's all right. All right. <laughs> I just got some kind of message coming through here. I keep getting secret messages. Oh, it's just Brandon. Brandon, knock it off. All right. Anyway. It is good to have Luke here, though. And uh, Brandon, you're not knocking it off. You're supposed to be quiet. Stop that. All right. Anyway. So, pray about that trip. 
pray the Lord provides. If you could do something to help, please do. If you can't, you can pray. All right? Just remember that. Do those things, please. And uh, praise the Lord for those that have been able to. And praise the Lord for those that are praying for us. I appreciate it. I really do. So uh, let's see. Now, Carl asked me a question. And he asked me for the secret files. Um, and I, I'm going to give them to him. Not because I really want to, but I will. Let's see. I think it's this one. Let's see if that's the right one. That is the right one. Okay, here we go. All right. Now, this is not a full endorsement of everything that's on this site. Just so you know. This is called Bible Portal. Carl asked me for some commentaries, different commentaries. Now, there, whatever questions the Bible obviously is wrong. All right? Just, just you, you should know that. All right? Um, anyway, but these are, these are like... This is a great site, Bible Portal is, and it gives a lot of different commentaries out there. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like, some of them I I read. But remember, they're not Bible. They're just commentaries on the Bible. No different than preachers preaching and and putting them into a written written format. BiblePortal.com slash commentaries. We'll have, it also has the King James Bible on there if you want to read the King James Bible on there. When I travel, I'll be using I use this anyway. I use this site. I have all these books, and I still use this site because I like copying and pasting things when I need to. But I also have a lot of rare books that's not even on here. So I use that. But anyway, Carl asked me the question about that. And here is that website there where you can get a lot of different information, uh, different studies, different people, different things. And uh, if you'd like uh, some of that, you can get that uh, on there. Uh Trap is always good for a good laugh. Uh, John Trap, if you if you read his commentary, uh, he has a lot of fun things to say about that and uh, all that good stuff. So we are excited about uh, using those different materials. Now we don't agree with everything they say. Some of some of them believe in infant baptism, and that's wrong, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we know that's that's not correct. And some of them are critical text guys, and we know that's not correct. So it's like anything you read. Uh, it's not the Bible. It needs to be in subjection to the Bible. So just remember that. But there's some good classics that are on there and some things that you can learn uh, from those. Uh, where they depart from the Bible, obviously, we do not agree with. So anyway, but that's that's a source that some people ask me about different sources of materials. Let me tell you something. Before I got on here today, I really, really almost switched my topic because I am so insanely, not insanely, I shouldn't say insanely, I am so angry about this Jesus Revolution movie. And I don't have time to talk about this today. I'm not prepared to show you the CIA links to all this and all that good stuff. Uh, But I will. And about this fake, phony Jesus, Roman Catholic, nasty little devil that plays the chosen Jesus on there. I am really angry about what they're doing. It is the biggest antichrist psyop, and I'm telling you, it's connected to that Asbury garbage. The whole thing is connected together in one big old satanic CIA, New World Order, phony Jesus garbage. But we'll save that for Monday, because I don't have time to get to it today. 
So I'm going to go with my regularly scheduled program. Because that's the best I can do right now. Because I, I want to explore really that option there. Um, and all that good stuff. So anyway, that's what we'll be doing. Um, all right. Oh, stop sending me Jesus Revolution stuff, will ya? The Christian Post. This Jesus uh, Revolution. Big, okay. Now, I should talk to Joe McDonald here. Joe! Lord willing, man, I'll be seeing you pretty soon. You pray my paperwork comes in. Uh, my paper, sir. Otherwise, I'm gonna, I can't get into, I can't get in anywhere. Me and Andrew. Andrew and I, excuse me. For you English and Irish chaps over there. No, he didn't. The shimulator didn't do it, okay? He won't do it like I do it. I'll tell you that. Why is that? Because I got a Bible, that's why. This one. He needs to get one. And I'm saying... So there you go, Carl Winters, Espinoza. Right. Carl needs a Visa and a MasterCard too, so pray for him. <laughs> oh, Carl needs a Visa and a MasterCard, so pray for him. <laughs> He needs his visa and he's got to get Mary needs her visa. And it's going to cost Carl. Uh, it's going to cost Carl on his MasterCard. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. We're praying. I put it. I expedited mine. Mine. Excuse me. Mine. My biz. I, I expedited mine quickly. So I paid the extra money. I paid the government's extortion fee to get it sooner. <laughs> They're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to have a good time with Luke over here. He needs he, he needs to have a good time since he drove all the way over. I figured I'd make him laugh a few times. Yeah. Right, Luke? That'd be worth the, pro <laughs> the price of admission, right? I mean, there's a fee to come in the studio. <laughs> so I got entrance fee. So I had to make Luke laugh when he came in the studio, right? So he, and he's laughing over there. You can almost hear him on. Magellan! Luke Therese is trying to get you to join the broadcast. Stop tempting Luke. 1995 plus 850. That's the price of this broadcast. 1995 plus shipping and handling. You have all Hey, you know what we're going to do? Me that's what me and Andrew are going to do. We're going to sell an all access <laughs> European tour. <laughs> We're going to sell an all-access European tour. 
VIP <laughs> subscription. That's what we're going to do, Luke. Okay, for 1995, we'll, we'll you'll get in on our on our European tour all access VIP tour. That does exclude whales, by the way, because I don't like whales. No, I'm just kidding. You know, like whales, like because they swallow preachers. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really like whales. But uh, anyway, all right. Becca's informing us that she's late. That's that'll cost you extra. Whales swallow preachers, so we're not preachers are not very fond of them. They kind of stay away from them as much as they can. That's right. I wish I could go. Look, I wish I could go to Wales. I think. I don't even know what's there, but I, I'm I'm probably sure I wish I could go there. Uh Wales is where all the Welsh revivals happened, and I don't know, maybe they eat fish and chips too. I, I don't know. There's something there, I'm sure, but but um we'll find out. But you'll see us over there. Anyway, I better get started with the Scarlet Harlot here before I start making people mad. That was a good whale joke, wasn't it? Mary Smith, I'm glad you liked that. At least Mary Smith liked my joke. Ross Duncan, you're late. Oh, I bet it's beautiful over there. I just don't know. I can't. Do you know how tight my schedule is right now? I have definitely overbooked myself in getting to places. I mean, we're cutting it close. And like Andrew's like my hall monitor. He's like, he's like, and Andrew's like my, my travel Nazi partner. <laughs> he's like, you're not going. This is it. This is all you can do. Oh, he's not. I'm sure he's, I'm going to stress him out like I did Luke, though, when I traveled with Luke. Luke's like, so what are we doing, Pastor? I'm like, Luke, I don't have any clue. Luke's like, so uh, what do you got planned for this? I was like, Luke, I haven't planned a single thing. And Luke's looking at me like, what? What do you mean you haven't planned? Luke, I don't have anything planned. Luke was so shocked because he was used to his dad planning everything when he went anywhere and did anything. And me, I'm the opposite. So God made sure that Andrew goes with me so I actually make it where I need to go. <laughs> oh, that's why God brought Andrew. He's like, he's going to record everything and he's going to make sure you get where you're going. You're supposed to go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Ah, oh, that's good. All right. Anyway, maybe I'm having too much fun for you Baptists on Friday or you Presbyterians or you Protestants. You Presbyterians cannot smile. I don't think you're allowed to. Uh, but anyway, we'll keep going. But And Big Joe is going to put me. Big Joe is going to put me right smack dab in the middle of New Grange. And hopefully he doesn't leave me there in the. Uh, in the monolithic uh, structures that are there, and uh, I don't get hidden by giants or something or kidnapped by giants. Over, By the way, this brother in Christ contacted me, and I, I told him I don't think I can do this. 
And in fact, it was like a little bit crazy. But he was like, you know what you can do? While you're in Europe, you can get a visa. Before you go to you can get a visa. And he said, you can head over to Russia. And there's a Russian Baptist pastor over there that was in the gulags by the KGB over there in the gulags. And he will take you for a tour of those gulags. Do you want to go? And I'm like, and he knows all the Baptist history in Russia and everything. I'm like, well, of course I want to go, but I can't. I don't have any time. He's like, if you want to see history, this pastor will take you to all. I'm like, Putin's going to lock me up in the gulag if I go there. Are you kidding me? They're going to kidnap me and take me to the gulag. But do I want to go? Well, that goes beyond without saying, of course I want to go. But I just can't go everywhere, at least this time. Maybe there'll be another time. And I'm just trying to picture Pastor Cooley in Russia, searching around gulags where Baptists were martyred and thrown in prison. And them not keeping me. <laughs> just, I don't know. That's just like. Okay, well. Maybe. <laughs> but. I did. I told him I'd love to. But I can't. Yeah. Look, I'm probably safer in Russia than I am because of my LGBTQ stance. I'm probably safer in Russia than most people are. They probably actually like me. I'm in more danger going to a sodomite rally over here than going to Russia. That's what I think. But anyway. I must move on. But it is Friday, so I was having a little bit of fun. But it's 2.30. I have an hour and a half to get through 13 points, which is probably not going to happen if I don't get moving. So how is everybody anyway? Y'all doing well? Everybody doing fine? You know, I think, I think I'm think i in a better mood today, Luke, because, well, Luke came to see me, number one, right? But the second reason is I actually, I ran on my, my treadmill for 45 minutes this morning, and I really think it helped me. Anyway, so keep praying for the trip. I'm excited about it. All right. And if you can, help us out. If you can't, you better pray because we need it. Pray for divine appointments. And that the Lord would be honored and glorified by all that we do. Excuse me, because we are certainly excited about it. So, okay. What's your cash app, Pastor? What's your handle there, buddy? <laughs> it's it is Pastor Cooley seventy six. That's my cash app. Right? Dollar signs. <laughs> Oh, what am I, Creflo Dollar? Come on. I think that's how you do it. It's Pastor Cooley. Yeah. 
only used it a couple times. Here's my cash app. I sound like a hillbilly saying that. Hey, here's my cash app. There it is. Look, it's right there. I wonder if I put it on the screen like that, I could show you. Of course, he's not really watching a screen. He's driving a big rig. I hope you're not watching a screen. I'll pay you to roll on Asbury. <laughs> who thinks me who thinks me will go to jail if me rolls on Asbury? I do. I'll put it right here. That's it, right there. Okay. I'll show you. Right there. Hey, maybe this will get you into secret. There, look at that. Holy buckets, that's in big, bold letters. There it is, Elijah Morgan. Can you see it? Just scan the screen with your sales phone, your sales phone. Or like Carl says, with your celly. There it is. Scan to pay him right there. Look at that. All right. So there you go. I guess that's how you do it is you just scan that. I, I'll tell you something. I, I still don't. I still can't figure that out that easy. And then it was connected to this other crypto thing, currency thing. And somebody sent me money through that that way. And I'm like, I don't even know how this works, but it is pretty cool. Anyway, so there you go. There it is on the big barcode screen right there. If you scan that app, you can send it, I think. It might work, but who knows? Hey, Teresa was making fun of me and put that picture on there. Teresa, that's not very nice. Put that funny face of me on there like that. That's it. I'm taking a funny picture of Daryl. I'm taking a funny picture of Daryl and I'm sticking it on there. That's what I'm doing. There you go. That's what I'm doing next. I'm taking a funny picture of Daryl and I'm sticking it on there. I got some funny ones of Daryl too. All right. Let's get to this. That picture is funny. I made that picture... I made that picture funny on purpose. Nice. I replied with a thumbs up. I think. There it is. Got it. Hey, that's pretty cool. It did work. Scanned and done. Shows you how easy they're going to steal everything from us, doesn't it? Boom. Scanned. You're done. And that is his real name, Elijah Morgan.
Amen, Elijah. I appreciate that. All right. Is Rome the harlot of Revelation? Let's get to it here. We are going to get to it here. And if, if you are all fast forwarding, then you can fast forward through 30 minutes of this, I'm sure. And then, but you know what? I like to talk to people. I don't just get on here and teach you things and not talk to you. I talk to people. Plain and simple. I, I interact with the audience that listens to me because I love you and I love people and I talk to people. I don't just, I just don't teach things and then get off and not talk to people. I have a personality. I like to be around people. I like to talk to them and help them and everything else. I don't, I just don't do that. There's other people you can listen to out there and they'll never talk to you. They'll just teach you stuff and you'll never know who they are. You'll never, they, they're so polished and primp and perfect that you don't ever see who they really are. It's easy to point fingers at me because I'm real with you. What you see is what you get. If you come to my house right now, you ask Luke what he sees. What you see is what you get. If you come into my house, if you're there, that's, that's who I am. If I'm there, I'm the same guy. If I'm sitting in the meeting house, if I'm preaching on the street, if I'm riding riding in a plane or uh, flying in a plane with you, or if I'm driving over, you meet me over in Europe. I'm not going to be a different guy. I'm just not. I'm the same guy wherever I'm at. That's just who I am. And, you know, it's easy when people are polished and they have everything edited out and how they are as people. So, anyway. Um, and I do like to have fun with people because God didn't make us to be sourpusses. I'm not a Puritan from New England, all right? I'm a Baptist. We still smile, even in pictures. Right, Luke? Right. right, amen. All right. We'll pray for Aaron. Aaron's having a tough day. Well, tell Aaron that if I was with him right now, I'd punch him right in the belly and make him feel better. Tell him that and see if that don't put a smile on his face. He'll smile at that. He always knows I want to push him in the street and punch him in the belly. <laughs> he is my brother-in-law. Don't forget that. <laughs> oh. Anyway, we'll we'll pray for Brother Aaron that he, that he has a better day today. He's going to laugh about that when he hears that. He's going to chuckle. Aaron's going to help me. He's going to send me some information on, on some stuff that I need. He'll probably send that to me tomorrow. He'll do some digging around. Uh, he knows a little bit about that uh, stuff that went down. Him and I will talk about that Sunday. He knows a little bit about the stuff that went down over there in Berkeley and the stuff that went down with the Jesus movement and a few things like that. So we'll talk about that, him and I will, together on Sunday sometime. And 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 uh, I'm sure he's got some stuff to interesting stuff to tell me about that. All right. Is Rome the harlot of Revelation? The scarlet? Harlot. And yes, she is. Uh, and, and turn your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 6. Let's go there first. I got that outline up there for That's a free book that David Cloud has. By the way, I never apologize for borrowing the brains of others. Uh, and you shouldn't either. You can learn a lot from other people. Why, why invent a whole outline of something like this in this particular topic? Why develop a whole thing when, when able-bodied men have already done it and it's good stuff? Uh, you don't have to do that. I don't have to, I don't have to spend a lot of time doing that when it's, when it's just factual historical things that prove 
who Rome really is. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horn, ten, his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now, and there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee, show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk, right? And so he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Uh, Stephen says this. He said, yeah, I've heard other Christians who try to lock... Look down on that as if you're cheating for your sermons or something. I think it's funny. It is. But you know what? Those men are doing the same thing. Every man that tells you he's not learning anything from anybody else is lying. They're just lying. They're just not honest about it. I'm just honest. I'll just tell you. I'm not ashamed of it. I want to help people. So, and, and this stuff helps people. So why not use it? Why spend hours and hours and hours sifting through 30 volumes? I do that sometimes when I have to. But why do that if it's already been sifted through? If the resources are already there, there's no reason not to. It's foolish not to do that. Especially a broadcast like this, uh, you know, where, where you're spending hours at a time and preaching to other people and everything else. So I want to get as much truth out there to people as I possibly can. Okay, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth as peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Which proves what? By the way, it proves that in the end times, there's still peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. When Dave Hunt published, when Dave Hunt published a book in 1994, A Woman Rides the Beast, that identifies the religious harlot of Revelation 17 with Roman Catholicism, it created quite a controversy. Hunt's book was blacklisted by many Christian bookstores. They got angry at at Hunt for saying what Baptists and Protestants have said for years. For years, Baptists and Protestants always said this. But what changed, what changed was 
Protestants and Baptists stopped preaching against Rome and the Counter-Reformation because they were yoked up with it. So the answers man, who I totally annihilated a few years ago for his Greek Orthodox heresy, that he went went to the Greek Orthodox Church, by the way, which should tell you why he didn't have a pro- he had a problem with Dave Hunt's uh, stand on Roman Catholicism. Why is that? Because Greek Orthodox is nothing more than baptized Roman Catholicism. Actually, infant baptized Roman Catholicism, if you will. By the way, that's why I use Hoggard's, Pastor Hoggard's stuff, and and uh, I, that's why I use David Cloud's stuff. That's why I use Peter Ruckman's stuff. That's why I use a lot of guys' stuff. And you know what? Some people don't like that I use all those different guys. Bill Grady, all those people. They don't. I use Bill Grady's stuff. His works are great, and I don't agree with every single thing any of them say either. Still good resources. Still good. Some people are like, oh, I wouldn't use this guy because of this, or I wouldn't use, well, that's great. Don't. But you ain't going to tell me what to use. God Almighty is the one that leads me, not you. Not your little scowl look at me or anything else you don't like. I ain't too worried about it. People been giving me dirty looks ever since I got saved by the grace of God and called to preach. You think that's going to change anytime soon? At the end of the night, now, now we're going to look at some examples of this. This controversy. Such a, by the way, you can download this book from David Cloud right here on Rome, past and present. Uh, Roman Catholicism, past and present. You ought to download it. Keep it for your records. I, I don't mind telling you where to get it at. What do I care? I'll just move on to the next broadcast, teach something else, preach something else, help you do that. Help you with resources. I want you to be armed, right, to know what to do. Such a controversy is relatively new. For a thousand years or more, Baptists, Protestants, and fundamentalists have identified Rome with the harlot of Revelation 17. Check this out. In the ninth century, Turgendus, Bishop of Treves, called the Pope Antichrist. Yea, a wolf. That was in, that is, that's in Martyr's Mirrors. I own that book, by the way, and I think you should own Martyr's Mirrors. I don't sell it. I don't sell any books. I need a bookstore, Luke. That's what I need. I need a bookstore with a website for people to be able to buy books. I do it. Anyway, in the 10th century, Arnulfus, that's quite a name. I wish you had a name like Arnulfus. Luke does. Bishop of Orleans in a few in a full council at Reims called the Pope Antichrist. This is from the Ecclesiastical History of the Ancient Churches of Piedmont, which I own, by the way. It's a black book. There's also another one by Faber that wrote. Uh, those two books are right down there. You see them, Luke, right in the corner. Those are the on the ancient valleys of Piedmont and the, the, church, the ancient churches of Piedmont. Those that were holding the faith once delivered unto the saints who had their Latin scriptures in their own tongues, obviously, way before the King James Bible was around. Here are these two books. If you act now, it won't do anything. All right, uh, we'll keep moving. In the 11th century, Beringer. Hey, look, he mentions George Faber. I have that book just now. I just showed you. Of Tours denounced Rome's dogmas and maintained that the Roman church was the sea of Satan. Look at that. This is a rare book right here. The one on Faber. That is a rare book right there. 
All right, the Waldensians, throughout most of their long history, identified the popes as the Antichrist. The Waldensian treaties titled the Noble Lesson, which we will go through in Baptist history sometime. We'll go through the entire Noble Lesson. It'll be a Noble Lesson. Uh, dated 1100 AD, stated Antichrist, the predicted murderer of the saints, hath already appeared in his true character, seated mon- monarchically in the seven-hilled city. Rome is a monarch. That's what Rome is. All right. A treatise concerning Antichrist identified the Pope of Rome as the Antichrist. George Faber identifies this as a production of Peter Waldo. They say the noble lesson was written by Peter Waldo. Don't have a problem with that. That's fine. You can say that. But the Waldenses were there before Peter Waldo because the Albigenses were there before Peter Waldo. Now, the Albigenses did not come from the Waldenses. The Albigenses came from the Paulicians. But the Waldenses were there nevertheless. In 1206 at the Conference of Montreal, the Albigenses, look at that, made the following confession that the Church of Rome was not the spouse of Christ, but the Church of Confusion, drunk with the blood of the martyrs, that the polity of the Church of Rome was neither good nor holy, nor established by Jesus Christ. Again, from this book right here, which says I paid, I didn't pay for it, somebody bought it for me, 90 bucks for it. That's a rare one by favor. I don't think we paid that much, but we'll see. 1692, that was written. The Bohemian Brethren held the following beliefs according to the Roman Inquisitor. This description used material from the 13th century. The first error, saith he, is that the Church of Rome is not the Church of Jesus Christ, but an assembly of wicked men and the whore that sitteth upon the beast in Revelation. They declare the Pope to be the head and ringleader of all errors. Amen. I agree. Don't you? The Lollards of the 14th and 15th century maintain that the Church of Rome was not the Church of Christ, but of infidel heathens. And they despised all ecclesiastical laws together with all the bishops and ministers of the church. Again, Alex, 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 not that one. Remember that one? That that was that was Pierce Morgan. That's a different Alex. This is Alex. Different one. The Petrobusians judge the Pope to be the Antichrist. Again, same books. Alex and uh, Faber. You'll find those quotes. Throughout the Reformation era, Rome was considered the mother of harlots. On September 9th, 1560, Pastor Jean-Louis Pascal of Calabria, just before he was burned alive in the presence of Pope Pius IV in Rome, turned to the Pope and arraigned him as the enemy of Christ, the persecutor of his people, and the Antichrist of Scripture and concluded by summoning him and all his cardinals to answer for their cruelties and their murders before the throne of the Lamb. Praise God for some men that stood up that had some grit. Baptist grit. I need to start that website. J.A. Wiley's History of the Waldenses, which, by the way, I recommend that you buy. Now, I have the three-volume set 
The History of Protestantism. I recommend you buy that if you can find it. I have it, praise God. But The History of the Waldenses is a separate volume. It's very short, but it is worth having. We'll be using it for our our, uh, Baptist history uh, when we get to that point. All of the Reformation leaders considered the Pope the Antichrist, including Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Hus, and their successors, successors in the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Bible translator William Tyndale identified the Pope as the Antichrist in his treaties, The Practice of Prelates and also in the preface to the 1534 edition of his New Testament. I have the works of Tyndale, Banner of Truth. Uh, I've not read them, but Banner of Truth produces the works of Tyndale. They are somewhere over there. Somewhere in the sea of books over there, Luke. The Banner of Truth sea of books over there, or they're at the meeting house because they haven't been transferred over here yet. But I think that that's the works of John Knox, who, by the way, was not a real fan of Anabaptists, unfortunately. But um, Tyndale might be right next to Knox right there. They might be knocking it out with each other right there, fighting. I don't know. That's Knox, right? Is that Tyndale or Knox? That's Tyndale. So these are the works of Tyndale. You will definitely find a treatise on Antichrist. I am for sure about that. All right? Many of the early Protestant Bibles contain dramatic woodcuttings portraying the scarlet women, woman of Revelation 17, plainly identifying the Roman Catholic Church with its apostate religious system. The 1560 Geneva Bible is an example of that. The notes on Revelation 17 say this, The beast signifies an ancient Rome, the woman that sits thereon. The new Rome, which is the pap- papistry, whose cruelty and bloodshedding is declared by scarlet and full of idolatries, superstitions, and contempt for the true God. This woman is the Antichrist that is the Pope, which the whole body of his filthy creatures is expounded, is as expounded in verse 18. In fact, it was so common in the the 16th century for dissidents to label Rome the Antichrist, and the harlot of Revelation 17. And in 1516, Pope Leo X issued a papal bull which forbade preachers to touch on the subjects of the Antichrist in their sermons. Wow. Pretty powerful, huh? Yeah. Pretty powerful. The situation continued to exist among Protestants and Baptists generally throughout the 19th century. And well into the 20th, in 1893, in his work titled Union with Rome, Bishop Christopher Wordsworth of the Church of England stated the view that prevailed among Protestants at the time. We tremble at the sight while we read the inscription emblazoned in large letters, Mystery, Babylon the Great, written by the hand of St. John, guided by the Holy Spirit of God on the forehead of the Church of Rome. These examples 
could be multiplied almost endlessly. Further, the large numbers of old-line Protestants, Baptists, and fundamentalist Christians continue to identify Rome with Revelation 17 today. Hmm. We have no doubt that the Roman Catholic Church is the partial fulfillment of the prophecy in Revelation 17 of a one-world religious harlot. This is not to say that Revelation 17 is entirely fulfilled by Roman Catholicism. The prophecy, not to be finished until the reign of the Antichrist just prior to the coming of the Lord. That's right. See, here's the thing you have to understand is that the fulfillment of this, Rome is going to merge all of these groups together. They are not quite merged yet. True Christians will stand against Rome and the bastardized religion of Roman Catholicism. We make no apology that we, like Spurgeon, we say there is no truce with Rome. The religious harlot of Revelation 17 is aligned with the Antichrist. Compare Revelation 17.3 to 13.1. We talked about that. We looked at those. We've looked at those before. Look at those two verses. 1 John 2.18, the apostle said, Little children, it is the last time. As you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. There are two aspects to the Antichrist. There is the Antichrist singular that will rise in the future and will rule the world for a short period, just prior to the return of Christ. And there are Antichrists, plural, that have been in the world since the beginning of the church age. And that will be. Likewise, the harlot of Revelation 17 has two aspects. There is a sense in which she has existed throughout the church age, and there is a sense in which she will arise during the tribulation. Though she does not fulfill the prophecy of its entirety, it's an amazing fact that every feature of the religious harlot is found in the Roman Catholic Church, and we're going to get to that. We're going we're to kind of skip ahead. So number one, the first point. Her character identifies her with Rome, the great whore. Revelation 17, 1. There came, out of the seven, came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. This is true of Rome, both spiritually and literally. From her inception, Rome has committed spiritual whoredom with the pagan rulers and the demonic powers of this world. She gleefully joined hands with Constantine of old. She has disobediently affiliated with pagan governments ever since. It is that church state. The Roman Catholic Church has also been associated with immorality in a more literal sense. 
Many of her popes were exceedingly immoral, wicked men. Pope John XII is described by the Catholic Encyclopedia as a coarse, immoral man whose life was such that the Lateran Palace was spoken of as a brothel. Pope Johnny had a brothel. Pope Benedict IX from 1032 to 1045 was a murderer and an adulterer. They even admit he lived a a dissolute life in the Catholic Encyclopedia. Pope Sixtus IV erected a house of prostitution in Rome. Pope Pius II had two illegitimate children, 1458 to 64. Pope Innocent VIII, not so innocent, had at least two illegitimate children that he raised to positions of authority and wealth in the Catholic Church. Pope Alexander VI, from 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, had at least four illegitimate children, and he made them rich through appointments. He made his son Caesar Borgia. Hey, the fake Jesus guy that looks like the new chosen Jesus. A cardinal. He made his son Caesar a cardinal when he was only 18 years old. Caesar was an immoral, violent man who had his brother put to death as well as his sister Lucrezia's husband. Alexander held unspeakable orgies in his palace and kept mistresses who were married women. He died of syphilis. Wow. Yeah, and then Caesar Borgio, you know, his little antichrist son. Pope Julius II had at least three illegitimate children. This is the only this is only the tip of the iceberg. Rome's priests have also been immoral. They've taken vows of celibacy, but they've not been celibate. In The Priest, the Woman in the Confessional by Charles Chiniqui, a former priest documented the moral vileness associated with Rome's practice of confession. What Hannah Connaught Honaint wrote about Roman Catholicism's monasteries in England could be said for a large portion of its monastic system throughout Europe. The monasteries, which were supposed to be palaces of holiness, were more like brothels. Their prophylogy was equal to their luxury. Those hells of vice uncovered in the monasteries by the commissioners of Henry VIII in the 16th century were not the growth of that age alone, such as they were then, they were two centuries before. And the cry that went up from them to the ear of heaven was like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was her personal testimony in the popular history of the translation of the Holy Scriptures. Volumes have been written about Rome's immorality in the past, but she has retained her impure testimony even to this very day. Her priests are renowned for homosexuality, for child abuse. Rome has paid millions, I would say billions of dollars now, for their child molesting priests. Child molesting priests. In 2004, which has been a long time ago, 11,757 cases of abuse involving 5,000 priests. 
The study also found $1 billion in lawsuits and treatment for priests. These studies only involve about half of the priests. Well, we know good old Donald Trump, he gave the Catholic Church through the PPP loans nearly $2 billion. They paid off all their uh, restitution with it. The Archdiocese of Portland and that of Tucson filed bankruptcy in 2004. According to the Roman Catholic Bishop Pat Buckley, studies have shown that 80% of the Catholic priests in Ireland have broken their vows of celibacy. The bishop estimates that at least 1 in 10 of the 5,000 priests have regular clandestine affairs with women. Well, duh! God meant men to be married. If you have that desire, God put that in you. So you're supposed to be married. You're supposed to be married. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to uh, be celibate. That's not the way God designed man. Five hundred Irish priests. They had regular relations with women in the London Telegraph in two thousand six. Buckley says the figure of one is ten is an extremely conservative estimate. Up to forty percent of the priests are are active in fornication. They're practicing homosexuals as well. Buckley operates a ministry called Bethany, compulsory celibacy and all kinds of other stuff that we don't care about. Martin Luther visited Rome expecting to find the center of holiness, but after he visited it, he said, if there be a hell, Rome is built over it. Well said, Martin Luther. Well said. Amen. Number two, her location identifies her with Rome. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. John pictures the great harlot sitting upon seven mountains, which most Protestants of old and fundamentalists of the present identify as the city of Rome. Now, I've heard people try to say that's Jerusalem. No. She's part of, she's, her... Jerusalem's apostasy is part of the Roman Catholic papacy. Their Kabbalistic teachings, part of the Roman Catholic papacy, part of Rome, part of the harlot, the scarlet harlot. She said in the scriptures, we have no king but Caesar. When did that change? It didn't until Jesus comes. It will not change. Do you understand that? You don't get to reinterpret the Bible. They said we have no king but Caesar. El Papa is in charge. Caesar. Pontifex Maximus is the ruler. This woman is a city, and the city is Rome. 
the religious capital of the world. Rome was the city set on seven hills and was known as such to both pagan and Christian writers. Ovid said, Rome looks around on the whole globe from her seven mountains, the seat of empire and abode of the gods. She is religious Rome, which at that time will have inherited all the religions of the world. It will attain the goal of the present-day apostates of all the great systems of the world that is found in Romanism, Protestantism, pagan religions, cults, and isms by J. Vernon McGee. And I happen to agree with his statement. And I believe it's totally biblical. Their house, Israel's house, was left under her desolate. She had no power. Jerusalem is not under the control of Netanyahu and the Israeli government. The apostate, Masonic, labor Zionist government is Antichrist in Jerusalem. And it is under the control of the Pope. Those Jewish people do not agree with their government. Those Jewish people are just like American people that don't agree with their government either. And that's the truth, friend. And understand this, because people will say, well, the Vatican's not on the seven, one of the seven hills of Rome. No, but Constantine's original church that Constantine gifted the Bishop of Rome is, is, is. And by the way, if you study history, the Rockefellers admitted that their entire operation was modeled after the Jesuit order. You can find that in their writings. Rome controls Judaism over in, 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 um, on the Temple Mount over there. Rome controls the Temple Mount. Who do you think controls the Temple Mount? You think Israel controls the Temple Mount? No. Sharon, Sharon gave the rights to the Temple Mount to the Pope for a peace deal in the Oslo Accords. Go look it up. No, it's the Jews that are doing all this stuff. I, I kind of want to do a... a uh, I kind of want to do a broadcast sometime, but I'll probably do it on um, on uh, Rumble because I'll get kicked off of YouTube. 100 reasons why it's the Jesuits, not the Jews, stupid. That's what, that's what, that's that's what I, I that's what, because there's this weird, insane hate for Jews out there. And it's wrong. And it's misguided. It's wrong. Not accurate. Okay. Number three. Her worldwide reach identifies her with... Oh, by the way, let me... I'm sorry. I, I lost that train of thought, and I might pick it up at another point. But here's that train of thought. When Constantine gave the Bishop of Rome, he put that harlot church... He, put, he gave her control of all the churches, which we're going to visit that site when we're over there. We're actually going to visit that site 
Brother Carl and I and, and, and Brother Andrew, Lord willing, we're going to visit that site over there in Rome of the church that was given. It's given to Pontifex Maximus. By the way, Ignatius Loyola was not a crypto Jew. Ignatius Loyola was a, was a Knights Templar. But that's for another day. Another time, another saga. I must continue, my friends. I have 10 more points and 45 minutes to go. But if I go overtime, I won't charge you. Who's in it for overtime today? Overtime Friday. But I do take donations. All right, anyway. Uh, number three, her worldwide reach identifies her with Rome. No matter where you go in this dark world, Rome's tentacles have extended there. Further, Rome is busy extending her influence by yoking together with Christian denominations and pagan religions of the world. A statement made in recent decades by the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican and Episcopalian churches, shows how far the ecumenical movement has gone toward reconciliation with Rome. On August 7th, 1977, Michael Ramsey said he would accept the Pope as president bishop of a united church. Ramsey also said we should like to see the churches of England, Scotland, the United States, and any other countries bound together with one in one body. If the Pope would like to come in as chairman, we should all welcome him. My book, Evangelicals in Rome, which, by the way, is David Cloud's book, uh, the ba Back to Rome movement within particularly every segment of Protestantism, which I have. Nope, that's Rome in the Bible. That's the wrong one, Luke, but you see that over there? That's Rome in the Bible right there. That's a different one. That'll be an interesting one. I'll probably use that one. But that's a different one. This is Rome in the Bible. The history of the Bible through the centuries and Rome's persecution against it. There you go. That's a different one, but it's probably got that information in it too. I say, I should look at this. Anyway. And not only are the apostate Christian denominations returning to Rome, so are pagan religions. Listen to this. At the last three general assemblies of the World Council of Churches, the main speakers included non-Christians. They were Hindus, Buddhists, Jewish rabbis, Muslims, Sikhs. Native American Indians and Australian Aborigines. I wonder if they had clothes on or if they really walked around with no clothes on. That's kind of weird, but they probably did. Pagan altars were erected and fire offerings made to various pagan gods. Sounds like a great place for the Pope to be. Very fitting for Pontifus Maximus to sit above, sit presiding over those. The World Council of Churches itself is composed of more than 300 denominations, representing some 500 million people in more than 100 nations. This large body of apostate Christianity has already become one in spirit with Rome. Catholics and Greek Orthodox churches and even recognize the, the so-called spirituality of non-Christian religions. The emerging harlot church was seen on January 24, 2002, when Pope John Paul II led the third day of prayer for people in Assisi. Francis is Assisi. 
No, it's a sissy, but Francis is a sissy. This ecumenical prayer gathering featured some 200 religious leaders, including representatives of all Christian denominations, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox, the Anglican, the Reformed, the Apostate Baptist, Lutheran, Mormon, Mennonite, as well as representatives of Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Baha, Confucianism, Shintoism, Hinduism, Jainism, Zoroastrianism, and every other ism you could possibly imagine, ism, and North, North American traditional religions. 29 Muslim leaders from such countries as Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. By the way, what do all these have in common? They're all connected through the Brotherhood of Freemasonry. Muslims are part of Freemasonry. That's where the labor Zionist movement, the Jacobins are all connected to the Roman Catholics. Not the Catholic people themselves, but the papacy. Because the Pope is the head of the mystery religions. That's who they are. Thus, this is that harlot church. Farrakhan. Yes. And the black Hebrew Israelites, which I have to go on record to tell you, is the dumbest religion I've ever heard in my life. I've met those guys on the street before. I've contended with them, with the scriptures before, and they have got the dumbest religion I have ever heard in my... I was going to reprove that religion one time. I was going to do a Black Hebrew Israelites exposed video. And it was just too stupid. I'm sorry. It was so dumb that I was like... I cannot waste two hours talking about this. It is that stupid. Okay. Moving right along. And some of you say, my mommy doesn't allow me to say stupid. Well, you shouldn't say it then. My mommy doesn't tell me what to say anymore. Number four, her unholy effect upon men identifies her with Rome. Listen to the effect Revelation 17, 2. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Apostate religion allows men. Uh, Mary Smith, MLK, visited the Masonic Temple right before he was assassinated. The day before he was assassinated, uh, Brother George Widger talked about that. He's on Eric John Phelps's channel broadcast, and he mentioned that in one of his broadcasts. Historically, MLK visited that, that, um, that uh, um, Masonic Lodge before he was assassinated, Mary. Anyway, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Apostate religion all allows men to continue in their sinful pleasures while having a form of religion to soothe their guilty consciences. That term fornication in Revelation 17 
It's talking about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's, you have to understand something. When the Bible speaks of fornication, generally speaking, it's usually both, both physical and spiritual. But Rome has a seducing spirit about it. If you're not saved by the grace of God and you study the mysticism of Roman Catholicism, you can be taken in by it. You better have the Holy Ghost of God and you better have the, the, the scriptures and you better know that King James Bible. You better be armed up because the mystical stuff there can be rather alluring and deceiving. The term fornication goes by that. though. The priest comes between the heart and the blessed Lord. The Bible is concealed. The mind of God is unknown. The people are intoxicated with her exciting falsehoods and worship they know not what, said Miller in his church history. By the way, you can get Miller's church history on a free download. I believe Miller was a Baptist. And Miller, I have it somewhere around here. I don't know where it is. I think I have a hard copy of it. David Cloud does sell a group of Baptist histories. And you can get those on a download, a digital download from him. And uh, it costs some money, but it's worth it. He's gathered all these books together and uh, on one searchable website from his Baptist history stuff. I own that and use it as well. It's a blessing. All right. The attraction of apostate Christianity to the people of the world, in spite of the fact that apostate Christianity is constantly discredited, is amazing. Pope John Paul II's journey to South America in 1980, Time Magazine said, the Polish-born pontiff proved a spellbinding presence, drawing crowds of a million or more on at least six occasions. So Pope John Paul II draws millions of people. Following the first visit ever made by a pope to America, Time Magazine said, a gentle shepherd with a will of steel. John Paul II thrilled the U.S. with a glorious pilgrimage that won hearts and challenged the nation. After only a year in office, the pontiff is emerging as the kind of incandescent leader that the world so hungers for, one who can make people feel that they have been lifted up above the drabness of their lives and show them that they are capable of better emotions and better deeds, that they may have thought. Cut the bromance, will ya? People were trampled to death and great cloud crowds flocked to see John Paul II during his world tours. Think about that. They get sucked in, people do. The ultra-large front banner for the April 8th edition of the Evening Standard of London said this, England was united by the Pope. You know how many people died in England because of the papacy? For them to even, for them to yoke up with the papacy, how many people died? How many people were murdered? How many kings were slaughtered? How many countries, uh, how England suffered under the, with the papacy and with the battle between the papacy and Protestant, uh, the Protestant faith? Claudia Riberia Santos, a Brazilian nun who attended the Pope's funeral, observed, the entire world is here. John Paul tore down the walls of countries of classes of religion. Indeed, he did, being that satanic antichrist leader that he was. At his funeral, 70 presidents were there. 
200 world leaders, 70 presidents and prime ministers. It was the first papal funeral attended by an Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, the first attended by the British prime minister and the first attended by the future monarch of England, who is going to be king here soon. And unfortunately, he'll be crowned four days after I leave jolly old England. So I won't get to, I won't get to see the coronation of the king. I'll be hightailing it out of there. Let's see. The Times in London said, in the first papal funeral to draw an entourage of a current and two former presidents of the United States. Yeah, you know why? Because the presidents knew that the, that the Jesuit order was responsible for the murder of their presidents. Every assassination of a president of the United States was done by the papacy through their Masonic Jesuit order. Fact. The attraction of the world toward apostate Christianity will continue until the increase, until it increases all the way into the end, right? Until we have it all. Until, until there's one leader that is controlling everything in the minority, believers in Christ. Be, these will be around, but the rest will be completely consumed by the papacy, by the satanic leadership of the papacy. Absolutely consumed by it. Thanks. Son brought me some water. Who I was going to need it. Don't tell that you brought me water. Your, your name has to be kept secret. I think they've known you ever since you were like, I don't know, like four or something like that. Yeah, right. Goofy. All right. Anyway. God shall send them strong delusion, right? That they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Her illicit relationship. Number five. Her illicit relationship with civil governments identifies her with Rome, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. The apostles never yoked together with the secular government. They gave their attention to establishing churches, and their principle was that the church has its business, state has its business, right? Romans 13, 1 through 7, they wrote, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Apostate Christianity, on the other hand, does not hesitate to unite with godless men in government. During the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic Church yoked with secular government and oftentimes even ruled over it. In 1302, Pope Boniface VIII issued a papal bull entitled Unum Sanctum, in which he claimed that no one can be saved who does not submit to the Pope as the supreme head of the church and demanded that kings and all earthly authority be subject to him. Pope Gregory VIII VII humbled Emperor Henry IV in, in 1076 
the Pope called the Council of Bishops and proclaimed that the emperor could no longer rule his kingdom. See, this is that papal beast system. It, see, people don't know these facts. Most people, most Christians that come around today get saved by the grace of God. They see all this Jesus people movement going on. They say, oh, they love Jesus. They all love Jesus. The Pope loves Jesus. No, the Pope thinks he's Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. He wants to control the world. So if you don't know this true history, you might be in danger of yoking up with these people and their movements. In January 1077, the emperor traveled to Italy to the castle where the pope was, staying on a visit to the Duchess Matilda and his forgiveness. Or excuse me, Duchess Matilda and begged his forgiveness. The haughty pope forced the emperor to stay outside in the winter cold, barefoot and fasting for three days. Pope Innocent III humbled King John of England. When his highness, the Pope, became displeased with the king, he excommunicated him and issued a decree declaring that he was no longer king and releasing the people of England from any obligation to him. The haughty Pope ordered King Philip of France to organize an army and navy to overthrow John, which he began to do with great zeal, eager to conquer England for himself. The Pope called for a crusade against John, promising the participants remission of sins and a share of the spoils of war. In the meantime, King John yielded to the pressure and submitted to the Pope, pledging complete allegiance to him in all things and resigning England and Ireland to the Pope's hands. The Roman Catholic Church still yokes together with secular government. It has hundreds of ambassadors to the nations. She rules over rulers. And the Pope thinks he's God over rulers. That's what he does. That's why he did what he did there. That's why he did that to the people. He, he, He believes that he is sovereign over the world and over the world leaders. Number six, by the way, that's why Rome sends ambassadors to every nation. They send them out everywhere. Everywhere. And they rule. Number six, her blasphemy identifies her with Rome. Full of names of blasphemy. Rome is indeed full of blasphemy, having exalted herself to the place of God in people's lives. The very titles of Rome are blasphemous. The Pope calls himself the Holy Father and his holiness. Names that solely belong to Almighty God. He calls himself the Vicar of Christ, which is the office of the Holy Spirit.
Rome's priests also take to themselves blasphemous titles and claim to be fathers, a title which Christ forbade. They are ordained after the order of Melchizedek, even though this is an office that belongs to Christ alone. What mere man can be ordained after a priestly order that requires that one be without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life? Speaking of blasphemy, what about Rome's doctrine of Mary, that she is redemptress and mediatrix, that she is sinless and ascended to heaven and was crowned queen of the universe, that she hears and answers prayers? Is it not pure blasphemy to depict Mary as any of these things and to build statues to her, depicting her as the queen of peace and showing her hanging on the very cross with Christ? As we find at St. Mary major basilica in Rome? Teresa Connor said, I don't think he is the Antichrist. I don't know who you're talking about. You need to be specific. Because I don't know who you're talking about. Number seven. Her clothing identifies her with Rome. The apostles and Christians of the early church were humble Bible believers who lived simple lives and did not follow the pattern of the world's leaders and religions. The harlot church, on the other hand, loves impressive cathedrals, colorful robes, and gorgeous ritualism, expensive ecclesiastical clothing and trappings. Revelation 17.4 describes exactly how Rome's bishops and archbishops and cardinals and popes are clothed even to this day. We have described the mass that we observed in St. Paul, said, said David Cloud, without the walls in 2003 in which the bishops were clothed in scarlet. You can see that everywhere. The Catholic Encyclopedia describes the garments of the Catholic clergy. The Kappa Magna. A Kappa Magna is a cloak with a long train with a, with a hooded shoulder cape. The color of it is the purple wool for bishops, scarlet silk for cardinals, and red velvet for the pope. The cassock is a close-fitting ankle-length robe, the color of which is purple for bishops and scarlet for cardinals. That's the, we the, re the reason. <laughs> That's the reason that we call Rome the Scarlet Harlot. That's why we call her that. Because that's who she is. That's who Rome is. Number eight, her wealth 
identifies her with Rome. Think about that. Decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Look at how the well-favored harlot lives. Right? Look at that building. Look at the Vatican. Look at it. Yeah, I never said that... that, um, that prince was the Antichrist. I'm not sure where you got that from. But I never insinuated that at all. Okay. Her wealth, though, identifies. This is that accurate description of the wealth of the Roman Catholic Church. It also describes, literally, the golden jewels with which Rome has decked itself. Consider this description of the coronation of Pope Gregory IX. On the day of his coronation, he proceeded to St. Peter's, accompanied by several prelates, and assumed the pallium according to custom. And after having said Mass, he marched to the palace of the Lateran, covered with gold and jewels. On Monday, having said Mass at St. Peter's, he returned wearing two crowns mounted on a horse, richly comparisonized, comparisoned, and surrounded by cardinals clothed in purple and a numerous clergy. The streets were spread with tapestry inlaid with gold and silver. The noblest productions of Egypt, and how fitting, huh? And the most brilliant colors of India and perf perfumed with the various aromatic Odors. That's the history of the church from the earliest ages of the Reformation. The crown of Pope Paul II was set with diamonds, sapphires, emeralds, chrysolites, and jaspers. The crown of Pope Julius II was valued at 200,000 ducats. Or gold coins. That is as much as Pope Paul III gave to Emperor Charles V to finance an entire war against the Protestants in the 16th century. For Miller's church history. It is also the same amount as, as the entire dowry the King of Spain gave for the marriage of his daughter, Catherine, to Arthur, Prince of Wales, and heir to the British throne in the 16th century. See, Rome grew very wealthy through tithes, donations that flowed to her from the ends of the earth. She grew wealthy through taxes. See, she taxed people. These people weren't giving out of a loving heart. They were taxed and forced to. She levied taxes upon Catholic nations. 
1376, the English Parliament, for example, observed that the taxes paid to Rome amounted to five times as much as those levied by the king. That's from Cushing Hazel Castle's History of the Church of God in 1886. Rome charged more taxes than the king of that nation did. She grew wealthy through the the sale of clerical offices. She sold the clerical offices, the, the pastorate, the bishoprics. The following description of the conditions in England in the 13th and 14th and 15th centuries was true throughout Europe. The Pope of Rome was farmer general of the English church. He who could pay highest was sure of the place in, in the market, whether it were a county parish, a country parish, or the primacy of England. And the buyer must in turn farm it out in the way which would bring the largest percentage on the cost. The richest prizes fell to the Italians, parasites of the Pope, some of whom, though unable to speak a word of English and who had never set foot on English soil, held 20, 30, nay, some of them 50 and 60 valuable benefices on the English church, in the English church. On the revenues thus obtained, they lived in magnificence at Rome and laid up enormous fortunes, notwithstanding the large yearly sums paid out to them into the papal treasury. Now listen. Here's something that you have to understand. The Italian families in Rome are richer. They are richer than the Jewish families in Israel. People talk about the uh, Jacobins. They talk about the Jewish families. They talk about the Illuminati. Those families over in Italy are richer because they had the world's taxes coming from those churches into those families who ruled different churches. So in other words, okay, we'll see you, Luke. Take care. Yep, yep, thanks for stopping by. They ruled those churches and those families. Think about that. Those families, the wealthy Italian families are richer than those those families over there. Why? Because of the Pope's coffers. Because what they, those, each Italian mobster family, those Italian mobster families over there were given those churches taxes. Okay. Rome grew wealthy through rich men joining the monasteries and donating their wealth to the churches. She grew wealthy through the Crusades. They raped and pillaged the Jews, the Muslims, and the entire world, or entire Europe over there. They raped and pillaged Europe, and they stole. That's how Rome built her fort. Oh, what does the Bible say? Let me show you something.
It says in the New Testament, let's see. James one twenty seven says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, to keep himself unspotted from this world. Looking for a specific verse. We'll see if I can find it. Uh, let's see. Robbers of churches. No, that's not. Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms. That's the robes. Let's see. I can't find the verse I was looking for, but it was robbing widows' houses or widows' fortunes, right? They they robbed the widows and they robbed them of their of their fortune, and they and, and that's what they did. Um, but anyway, I can't find that right now for some reason. Maybe you'll find it for me. You can think of that. Um, Yeah, this is the Pure Bible Search tree, so you can download the Pure Bible Search. And uh, it is it is there. It's called Pure Bible Search. You can download it on your computer. Uh, I think you can do it on your smartphone maybe, but I'm not sure. But I know for, for a fact you can on your computer. That's it. Devour widows' houses. Thank you. Uh, thank, thanks, Brother Carl. Mark chapter 12. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Devour widows' houses, not robbed widows' houses. Mark 12. Mark 12, 39. And he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Am I in Mark? I'm not. I'm in Mark 1. No wonder why I'm not finding it. Man, I'm just all over the board today here. All right. And the, it says, and he said unto them in his, in, in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. These shall receive a greater damnation. They devour widows' houses. Okay. What they do. That's Roman Catholicism. That's what they do. So Rome grew wealthy through that. She grew wealthy through the Crusades and murdering and killing people. Not only did the Crusaders bring much wealth back and donate it to the Roman Catholic Church, but it was the Catholic Church that provided much of the money for the Crusades by loaning money to the Crusaders. Though usury was officially forbidden by church law, the Catholic Church had ways to get around this, such as by gaining free use of the Crusaders' lands during the owner's absence. She grew wealthy by the doctrine of masses for the dead, whereby the loved ones of the deceased paid money to the Catholic Church to have masses performed to deliver them from purgatory. 
The wealthy would leave part of their inheritance to Rome for the saying of masses. She grew wealthy through the sale of indulgences. This is how the popes built St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. She grew wealthy through the Inquisition because she not only arrested and imprisoned and tortured and burned heretics, but also confiscated their property. The wealth of the Catholic Church is still vast. The harlot church is spiritually bankrupt, but amazingly full of material wealth. She stole from them. She still is today. Number nine, her cup identifies her with Rome, having a golden cup in her hand. The only cup that is mentioned in connection with the New Testament church is the cup of the Lord's Supper in Bible-believing churches. But Rome is not satisfied with a lowly ritual that mere symbolizes Christ's death. She has converted it to a, a glorious pageantry at the heart, of which is the transubstantiation of the host into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. For such a pageant, a golden cup is more fitting. Until recent times, the, the Catholic liturgical law required the chalice, the cup of the mass, be made entirely of gold, or if at least of gold, be gold-plated, said the Catholic Encyclopedia. To this day, the papal chalice is made of gold. The Roman Catholic Church possesses the thousands of gold chalices in its churches around the world. Number 10. Her abominations identify her with Rome. Full of abominations. Indeed, Rome is filled with abominations. Her mass, which she claims is a bloodless re-sacrifice of Christ, is an abomination. The consecrated host, which is called the corporal, and which is worshipped as Christ, is an abomination. Her sacramental salvation, her worship of Mary, her prayers to the saints, her doctrine of purgatory, her love affair with the bones of dead men. The unscriptural claims of the Pope are all abominations before God. Think about that. Think about what she's doing. What does a, a, a church make a bone chapel out of the skulls and bones of her priests? They truly are dead men's bones. They're abominations. They love death. That's why Martin Luther hated the doctrine of indulgences. That's why he preached so hard against those things because of what they did. How they took advantage. They devour widows' houses. I had those people trying to pray them their, their relatives out of purgatory. Right? That's what they did. Let's see. All right. Number 11, her associates identify her with the Rome. With Rome, the harlot, the scarlet harlot, the mother of harlots. The harlot of Revelation 17 is a mother who has daughters that are similar in her character. They too are harlots. 
The Protestant denominations split off from Rome in the 16th and 17th centuries, though they retained some of her doctrine and practice. How about infant baptism, state churchism, persecution of the saints? As the Protestants persecuted the Baptist people and the Anabaptist people. Though they retained some of her doctrine and practice, such as infant baptism, state churchism, and the allegorical method of Bible interpretation. And in the last 100 years, they have apostatized from their former Protestant faith. And today, they are reaffiliating themselves with their mother. They are part of the Scarlet Harlot. They are her daughters. They look like their mama. Some of the reformers and the reformed and the new age reformers now, they look like their mama. They look like their mom. When you look at an old-fashioned Baptist church, you don't say, oh, you look like your mother, Rome. No, because that's not their mother. Baptist distinctives are New Testament distinctives. That's why I'm Baptist. That's why I identify with those with, with Baptists. That's why. Are there some... Are there some uh, apostate ones? Yes. But the reformers, they, they model themselves after their mother. Infant baptism is the badge of Antichrist, said Spurgeon. And it truly is. No Bible believer can read the King James Bible and see infant baptism anywhere in the scriptures. You've never seen one baby baptized in the New Testament, not one. Believer's baptism is there and no other. Number 12, her violence identifies her with Rome. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. People say, oh, look, the Jews are, they, the, the, the Jews and they persecute people. They don't have the power to persecute people like Rome does. They don't have anywhere near the power to persecute as Rome does. Nowhere near it. Rome murdered 50 to 100 million Christians. The Roman Catholic Church has murdered millions. No one has ever been able to count the exact and total number, but it has been estimated by careful and reputed historians of the Catholic Inquisition that 50 million people were slaughtered for the crime of heresy between AD 606 and the middle of the 19th century, says John Dowling, History of Romanism, 1847. Rome is drunk with the blood of the Albigenses. I'm getting ready to show you in my Baptist history. I haven't got there yet. 
uh, this week, but probably possibly next week, the demise or the end of the Albigenzi people there as they were murdered, slaughtered by the crusaders of Rome. And by the way, Rome is still having the United States' military-industrial complex slaughter the heathen and slaughter believers and slaughter people. And you ain't getting me to let my sons and daughters go to war for El Papa over there. We ain't murdering nobody for him. We ain't going to war for nobody for him. Rome is drunk with the blood of the Albigenses, the Waldenses, the Lollards, the Anabaptists, the Baptists, and Protestants. In the Netherlands alone, following the Reformation, multitudes were tormented and destroyed. Consider the following excerpts from a record of those persecutions in the, 19, in the 1520s. The history of the Low Countries from this time is so full of martyrdoms that it is like a gradual extermination of the population. The fires are now, were now kindled all over the country. The edict following edict with increasing severity kept from burning, kept them burning. Excuse me, kept them burning. It was death to read a page of the scriptures. Death to discuss any article of the faith. Death to have in one's possession any of the writings of Luther, Zwingli. Death to express doubt respecting the efficacy of the sacraments. Or the authority of the Pope. The year 1536, that good and faithful servant of the Lord, William Tyndale, was strangled and burnt at Vilvorti, near Brussels, for translating the New Testament into English and printing it in the 1535. About 400 churches were thus plundered and defaced in a few days. The troops were ordered to be distributed over the distracted country that the persecuting edicts might be enforced. The Protestants were reduced to great straits. Many were put to death and many fled the country. In the year 1567, the cruel Duke of Alva was sent into the Netherlands with an army of 15,000 Spaniards and Italians. And the Inquisition was to put forth all its energies. The wooden churches were pulled down. And in some places, the beams were formed into a great gallows that would, on which the, to hang the minister and his flock. These atrocities, again, against Bible believers were to be witnessed almost daily in the country and nearly 40 year, for nearly 40 years. In the year 1576, the Council of Blood, as it was called, held its first sitting. Blood now flowed in the torrents. A new edict was issued, affixing a heavy penalty upon all wagoneers, carriers, and shipmasters who would aid in the emigration of heretics. They had resolved that none should escape, 
And upon the 19th of February, 1568, a sentence of the Holy Office condemned all the inhabitants of the Netherlands to death as heretics. A proclamation of the king dated 10 days later confirmed the decree of the Inquisition, ordered it to be carried into instant execution without regard to age, sex, or condition. This is probably the most concise death warrant that was ever framed. Three millions of people, men, women, and children were sentenced to the scaffold in three lines. Under this universal condemnation, the reader will see the real spirit of popery and what all had to expect who did not yield an absolute, though blind, submission to all her idolatries and superstitions. Miller's History. Similar atrocities are being committed against Bible believers across Europe and wherever Rome was in power, including South America, Mexico, and the Philippines. The persecution is not finished. Number 13. Rome's association with Babylon of old identifies her with Rome. Revelation 17.5. By this name, the final apostate harlot church is connected with the false religion established at Babel in mankind's early history in Genesis chapter 10 through 11. The harlot is the final product of Satan's corruption, true religion through the ages. Babel of old typifies the end times Babylon in following ways. There was a man-made unity. Likewise, the keynote of the end times Babylon is what? Ecumenism. Merge them all together. Everybody's the same. Every religion, religion's the same. Every tongue nation is the same. To merge them all together. No one's allowed to have any distinctions. There was a worldly ambition and ingenuity in Genesis 11.4. Likewise, the end times Babylon glories in man's ability and contrivances. Babylon erects impressive structures and creates an impressive system of religion. There was, there was rebellion against God's revealed will in Genesis 11. God told Noah's family to multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis 9, 1 and 7. But Babel was a scheme to avoid being scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Likewise, end times Babylon is an open rebellion against the New Testament scriptures and has replaced the word of God with human tradition. There was pride. The founders of Babel said, let us make us a name. End times Babylon is also proud and haughty and its impressive cathedrals, its pomp, its circumstance, its boasts of apostate secession, its worldly ways. There was idolatry. Babylon was the beginning of the idolist, idolatrous mystery religions in the desire to build a tower to heaven and a religious meaning associated with astrology and idolatry, the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Rome also adopted many idolatrous practices, such as worship of the queen of heaven, and the mystery mass 
and wherein God, where that wherein their gods is sacrifice on man's altar. If you're not saved, it's time to be saved, friend. End times Babylon is going to deceive the entire world. You must be born again. New Testament Christian, New Testament beliefs, Bible beliefs, as opposed to Babylonian beliefs. Turn to Jesus Christ. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the word of God. Trust what the Bible says about salvation, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Those 13 things are evidence that Rome is end times Babylon. It will further merge. All right, everybody. God bless you. We got through it. Now I'm going to play a song here. If you want to comment, you want to say anything, give me an opportunity to do that here. We'll see here. All right. Got to play Carl's favorite song. We find it here. Here it is. Oh, I'm so happy in the Lord, as since he saved my soul. I'll shout it from the mountain top. Christ Jesus made me whole. To tell the world of Jesus' love to all this world we roam Rejoicing, singing praises always till he takes us home I wanted to ask you what your opinion is on the Waldensians that fought back against the Catholic armies during the persecution of 1560, throwing boulders and teas down on them. Well, you know, I'll tell you that is a conscious decision that they that they would have to make. Uh, that every man is going to come to that decision. That's I believe that is self defense, and it was self defense, obviously. Uh, and uh, they reached their limit of uh, being slaughtered, and. Um, 
that is going to be that's a situation that's left up to the conscience of the of those people and i believe everyone has to make that decision they have to come to that place of uh defense and uh what what they believe that god would allow them to do it's something that you ought to study and read about and and uh you should read the scriptures on and get the mind of the lord there i've met a number of different men that have different um understandings of that and that they they some believe that there's that they that they were wrong some see some believe that um that uh they were not i do not believe they were wrong personally i believe in self defense i and i believe that's what that was uh but uh some would uh you know some may disagree with that but i do i know there are difference differences of opinions on that but uh i do not believe that it is wrong to do that uh so that is i think it's wrong to be the aggressor i throw i think it's i believe that it's wrong for you to be aggressively against you know and to fight and and that but i do believe that um I do believe in defense of the weak, and I do believe in defense of life. So um, that's where I stand on that particular uh, class. That particular situation, as far as as far as uh, concerned, that's what I've come to. Uh, in in that place, and studying that, and looking that over, that's where I have come uh, to on that subject. See here. Let's see. Let's play another song here before we get out of here. All right. Oh, okay. Yep, one more song and then we'll talk here. Let's see. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine all the way. And all I need for tomorrow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do, all I have to do, all I have to do is The Lord's our rock, in Him we
Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land.
it. Okay, everybody. God bless you. And uh, I'll say hi to everybody there. If you'd like to, don't forget about our trip. Pray for us. Here's our evangelism tour. I like to remind people at the beginning and at the end in case they didn't see the beginning of it and they just kind of tuned in. They can they can listen to this at the end of it. And uh, if you would, please pray for our ministry. Pray for our trip uh, to Europe. We are headed to Europe April 17th. April 16th, excuse me, Sunday night, April 16th, we'll be flying out of the United States, Lord willing, and please pray for us. And if you can give, here's all the ways that you can give right here. Uh, there's And there's other ways, too. You can mail it the old-fashioned way, 1030 Highway 3 South, Northfield, Minnesota, 55057. And uh, please uh, do that uh, if, you, if the Lord leads you to, okay? So that's fine if God leads you to, okay? If he leads you to do that, please do. Um, and, uh, but pray for us. We definitely need that. I can't, okay. He wants me to show the charismatic video here. Uh, Elijah does. He's, let's see, let me. This is, I don't know if anybody remembers this. Oh no, this, you, this is actually real. This is this is the charismatic movement right here. This this is this is <laughs> the first time I saw this. I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play all of it. I'm not gonna play the sound, okay? But this is this is this is Christian breakdancing. This is what they believe. This is what they hold to. Uh, this, these are the charismatics. These are the original white charismatics that were moonwalking. And uh, where are you all headed? What do you mean, where am I headed? Where you been, Brian and Debbie? I've been announcing this for three weeks. This is charismatic. These are Pentecostals. Yeah, it's... It's real. Anyway, but uh, we are headed to Europe April 17th. We are headed to, we will be preaching, and uh, Brother Bicey and I will be recording everything. We will be, uh, Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to be in, in England. We're going to be in Ireland. We're going to be in Scotland. We're going to be in Croatia with Brother Carl and uh, going to uh, preaching and then going to historical sites and uh, different places like that, and gathering information for documentaries, looking for, uh, looking for, (laughs) looking for uh, future material, also church planting things, and all kinds of things like that. So that's where we are headed, and Oh, Italy. Yes. To the valleys of Piedmont, to Rome. I'm going to Rome. We are, Lord willing, going to Rome. And I'll be using a lot of the material there for Rome for the future for some broadcasts and different things and obviously documentaries and things like that. So that's the goal. That's what we're going to be doing. And uh, you pray for us that the Lord would uh, bless. No, I'm not going to confront the Pope because I don't need to be killed for no reason. Uh, it, It just... I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach if the Lord allows somewhere in Italy, but I'm not going to go there to make a scene and, and get killed. But uh, 
Uh, anyway. But, so you pray for us as we go. And uh, and if if you could support the, the work that we're doing, praise the Lord for that too. It'll be beneficial. We'll be broadcasting live uh, also at different spots. And maybe you won't see it live because you'll be sleeping over here in America at that time. But uh, anyway, you pray for us. The Lord will continue to bless us and, and help us along the way. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to take off here. God bless you all. Take care. And uh, we'll see you here real soon. Don't forget to pray for us. Monday's broadcast, I'm going to cover the Jesus Revolution fake movie, fake Jesus movie, and the uh, Jesus people hippie CIA garbage that is going on with that, okay? All right, everybody. God bless you. Take care.